Hello, Marvelites! You are listening to Marvel's Pull List for new Marvel Comics on sale May 3rd, 2023. I'm Ryan Panagos, a.k.a. Agent M. And I'm Jasmine Estrada. The M stands for mechanic, because you're obviously a mechanic. Yep. I know that the carburetor goes inside the piece that has some sort of metal. It doesn't matter. As, it, it doesn't. as we said, I'm a mechanic, and we are here to talk about comics. But happy... May the 4th week Woo! be with you, everyone. Uh, it is May the 4th, Star Wars holiday. Uh, we have one, two, three, four, five Star Wars issues out this week, which is good uh, because that'll tie into our reading club later this week. But it's also the release week for Marvel Studios Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. So uh, hopefully you enjoy that. And this weekend, the 2023 free comic book day. What a week. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is the official Marvel podcast from Marvel Comics, talking about all them books every week. We'll give you reasons to check out our three personal picks of the week. We'll also tell you a bit about every other issue coming out this week. We'll pick a favorite non-spoilery reason for you to check out those books, a little little tidbit about each of them, and award them with a quote taken from one of this week's issues. Because it is May the 4th week, the quote will come from a Star Wars issue. Again, there are five, so maybe you'll have to buy all five Star Wars issues in order to find the Star Wars. Star Wars. And we'll also run through all the new Infinity Comics hitting Marvel Unlimited this week, some highlights from issues new to MU this week, and some picks for collections on sale this week. What else? We are going to be talking to Charles Soule, and we're going to not only be talking about Hidden Empire, which is the last of his Crimson Reign trilogy, but also kind of talk about some of the bird's eye view of like what he's been up to, including his work as a creative consultant for Lucasfilm, which is pretty cool. Yeah, we get a little little hype for Star Wars Dark Droids later in the show. Right now, let's get into our picks of the week, uh, starting with Moon Knight number 23, written by Jed McKay, art by Alessandro Capuccio, colors by Rochelle Rosenberg, lettering by VCs Corey Pettit. This is called Panic Room. And... It's just, it feels like every issue is so solidly done where it is its own story, but it's fitting into this larger tapestry. What, what is really cool is Jed does a great job of using dialogue to help sell the threat of the new enforcers. Not, you know, like they're kind of chumps, but the way that Moon Knight talks about them explains that they are not chumps. If they, if they don't work together to fight the new enforcers, it's going to go bad. And by they, I mean Moon Knight and Venom, because this is a friggin' Moon Knight and Venom team-up issue. And it's um, Venom Dylan Brock, Eddie Brock's son. So he's a little bit younger, brash, you know, like there's a, a little bit of a different vibe with this version of Venom, but it's so fun. But Venom brings the the enforcers to Moon Knight and then Moon Knight is just like standing at the door and he says, Mr. Knight. And he's just like, look, y'all can walk away. It'll be fine. Like, just do your thing. No worries. Dylan's going to come inside. Or you can come inside and you're going to get hurt. And he, he said, and I pulled this quote, there is nothing but pain and terror awaiting you inside my house. And then he just basically like, like backs up into the shadows and it rules so hard. It, it like continues to remind us that Moon Knight is like working all his angles and he is like at the, the peak of his coolness and his scariness also at his like kindestness to like the people he's trying to, to help, which is most people. It's really good. And then the art in here, Alessandro Capuccio and Rochelle Rosenberg, absolutely crushing it. There's a splash page early on in the book of Moon Knight and Venom jumping out at you. And it, it feels too big for the page in the best way possible. Like I think Venom's arms don't even fit on the page. Cause he's just so massive the way Alessandro draws him. It's so cool. Then there's another killer splash of them later on in the issue. And it's the two of them above the city. And I was like, oh, that's a poster right there. Uh, and one of the things that this book does, and I think, you know, it's uh, it does so well, is it uses the dialogue and the art to help us, as the story progresses, know who all the characters are naturally through the story as it goes along. It's a simple thing, but it is so well done. You know, it's sort of like, you need to know who a lot of these characters are. Someone may come into this Moon Knight book for the first time. And the beauty of this issue is they do such a great job of saying, 
this is who this is. This is what they do. This is who this is. This is what they do, but not in a like info dump way. It is all part of the kineticism of the story. It moves along so cool. Um, and then this is, you could read this one issue and be like, that's great. I have my Moon Knight fix for the year. I feel great. But if you're still reading Moon Knight, the scope of everything that's going on really grows in this issue. And you get a sense of like, who's behind all this? What's coming up? It rules. This book rules. Next up, we have my first pick of the week, Star Wars Return of the Jedi, Lando, issue number one. This is another one of these one-shots that are celebrating the 40th anniversary of Return of the Jedi. We've seen one-shots previously for the Ewoks and Jabba's Palace. Um, And this one continues the same thing, except we're following uh, Lando as he is trying to get one step closer to rescuing Han Solo. Um, and he is trying to essentially get money to fund his like heist of sorts. Um, so he's teaming up with Chewie here and I was floored at how good this issue is. Like I can't like these, these one shots have been amazing. It's such a cool like way to tell certain stories that, you know, necessarily don't necessarily involve some of the main characters, but this particular issue is written by Stephanie Phillips, uh, with art by Alvaro Lopez and colors by Antonio Fabella with letters by VCs, Travis Lanham. And like I said, it just blew me away at how good it was. It's such a like short story within like the corner of the galaxy. And we follow these two as they try to gain money. Um, at the beginning, we, we, we see Lando trying to essentially uh, pay for information, pay, you know, this storekeeper of sorts, um, finds out it's not going to work out. So he tries to get money another way. It ends up leading to a game of Sabacc where essentially, uh, which was wild to me, but Lando essentially is betting Chewie against, you know, this other person's 10,000 credits. And the way that it plays out is like such a like classic Lando Chewie type story. It's such a classic like Lando or Han type story where it's like, of course, everything's going to go wrong. Uh, shenanigans are going to ensue. And the way that these two work together was such a fun thing to see. Like we, we get to see how their, their friendship kind of, you know, buds. I mean, you have to think like Chewie's pretty pissed off that, you know, his friend is gone. Uh, and Lando's kind of to blame for this after being sold out. And like, when we, when we see all this, like we see Chewie helping out Lando as well as kind of like taking charge. It's not done in a way where it's like, oh, he's just kind of like this, like, sidekick he's very much taking charge here he's very much calling shots he's risking himself and i thought that was really fascinating but one of the things that both you and i ryan were were very excited to talk about were the colors and the and the art in this book because we Mm -hmm. both like it it reminded us of javier rodriguez yeah javier rodriguez i believe started as a colorist then like sort of elevated through sheer amazingness of of his work to penciler alvaro was coloring javier and is elevated into penciling and it's so good and then uh, antonio fabella who is doing the colors on this issue yeah. using that palette that like mm-hmm. that javier and alvaro have established it's it's a continuity thing it's like there's a style here that is so yeah. welcome it this doesn't that like it just pops this issue pops so much yeah the colors are beyond vibrant, which is just fantastic to see. Mm-hmm. Third pick of the week is Scarlet Witch number five. Yes, yes, Russell yes, yes. Dodderman is the artist here. Steve Orlando is a writer. Colors by Matthew Wilson. Letters by VCs Corey Pettit. So it's good. And that at first you might be like, no, no Sarah Pakelli. But then you're like, oh, hell yeah, Russell and Matthew. They're coming in. So good. I, so good. I, I love Russell. He's easily one of my favorite like interior uh, artists and seeing him back at it is just so exciting here, especially at one of my favorite characters. For sure. And this is Scarlet Witch versus Scythia. The Scythia is the, the leader of the Bake and she's going after uh, Darcy, who's who's killed uh, a member of the Bake. It's a, there's this whole blood must be paid in blood type of thing going on. Uh, but Wanda's like, no, we're not going to do that. But she's still there's a big throwdown happening. As we're getting into that, we're like Wanda and Darcy are trying to pick up the pieces of the first part of the battle. And then the second page has Wanda like magicking up the store and doing all this stuff. There's there's like conversations where Darcy is trying to to help Wanda and be like, just let me help you. Clearly, you are you are a queen. You can do everything, but just let me help you. Uh, you, you've got this injury and Wanda's like, I fought Thanos. And Darcy's like, I don't know her. 
Come on. I took a picture of that and sent it to Steve, and I was like, thank you for giving us this. Like, God bless. This is wonderful. So good. I was, it was one of my favorite things. Then, I don't know, it was like two pages after that, there's this beautifully, beautifully structured page. So it's three elements going on. The left, totally vertically, the left-hand side is Wanda blasting energy down at Scythia. It takes the, the whole... The whole height and length of the page, big, cool energy thing. Then the middle of it is this absolutely breathtaking shot of Wanda with like casting her magic, but like hair flowing behind her. Her dress is like her her costume is moving. And then you get to that third part of that image, which is Scythia, just totally scary, badass, covered in this armor. And she's licking probably blood off of her teeth saying cute and far more like it. Like she's like ready. She's into this fight. It's just friggin' awesome, beautiful comic books. Yeah. And like this issue made me realize how much I missed Russell because some of his layouts are just wild to me. Like they, I don't know how he comes up with them, but the, the, the page that follows that we get a fight with Scythia and Wanda and it is just out of this world like i was enamored by it there's just so many things going on you can pick up on all these things and then you get the payoff of the page turn when you see that next page and it's just like oh hell yeah like it just that energy that he creates in these first couple of pages is just so good yeah and then we get a post-credit scene come on this is so pumped so pumped page and there's a lot like we're not gonna spoil it hopefully don't get spoiled read this book all right that's it for our picks of the week but we gotta get to the rest of the comics uh, we need to talk about the award, Ryan. Last week, we had the It Smells Like Gunpowder and Mommy Issues, which was from Thor issue number 33, written by Torin Grumbeck. Also want to say a big thank you to Joe Hoffman for the lovely message about us reaching 250 episodes. Much appreciated. Yeah, and also wanted to give a quick shout out to Keith, uh, who is at Shoeless Monkey over on Twitter, who's a friend of mine uh, in IRL, uh, who also found one of the quotes of the week a little bit late, but, you know, still wanted to give him a quick shout out. Thanks for listening. Yeah, very, very cool. All right, now we got to get into this week's award name. Reminder, this is from a Star Wars book. Yeah, I mean, it was only appropriate that we go with Use Your Light Stabber, Use the Furts Award this week. That is correct. Furts, spelled F U R T. Z. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Lightstabber. Yeah. So if you find this quote, screen cap it and tweet it to at Agent M and at Jasmiest with hashtag Marvel's pull list or email us at pull list at Marvel.com. If you're the first, I'll reach out to you, give you a recent digital comic of your choice. Please mark your message as okay to read so we can read them here on the show. And if you have a local comic shop, please give us their name and location so we can give them a shout out. Yeah. But if you're not the first, you still have another chance at winning. We've teamed up with Marvel Insider to score some Marvel Insider points just for listening to the podcast. So after you listen to this episode, go to marvel.com slash insider and look for the Marvel pull list quote of the week activity. Uh, There you'll be asked to identify the correct quote from four different options. Uh, Choose correctly, which, you know, shouldn't be that hard because you're listening already. And you'll earn 500 Marvel Insider points. All right, again, this week's award name is Use Your Lightstabber. Use the Furts. All right, I'll start us off this week with Avengers War Across Time, issue number five. This is the last issue of this miniseries, and I'm going to give my Use Your Lightstabber, Use the Furts award to... There's a scene where we get to see all these different pockets of time, um, and we see all these different Avengers on teams from, you know, different timelines. And some of them are familiar and some of them are a little yeah. bit newer. But, like, it's really cool to see certain characters in these. I thought one of the cool things that they acknowledged here was that, like, one of the teams has, like, characters like Kamala Khan. And, like, characters that maybe they haven't met yet in their current place and time. And even, I think it's Cap asks, like, who are these? I don't recognize some of these Avengers. And I'm like, that's mm-hmm. so cool. It's cool to see that. It is really cool to see that. All right, we're going to go on to Carnage Reigns Alpha number one. And I think I want to give my Use Your Light Stabber, Use the Furts Award to the way that Carnage has taken over a building and the way that's used for horror in this is intense. This is a very brutal issue because, of course, it is. It's a Carnage issue, but it's really nasty, really cool uh, start to this 
Carnage Reigns uh, crossover, which is going to cross over into the Carnage book, Miles Morales, Spider-Man, and Red Goblin. There's a lot in here, especially if you like ooey-gooey red symbiotes. Uh, we get more of that in the next issue, Cult of Carnage Misery, issue number one. And I'm going to split my Use Your Light Stabber, Use the Fritz Award to Liz Allen, who is the star of this book. Uh, and I, I want more of. Like, I was fascinated by her, like, role in this world. I'm also going to give the other half to the antagonist in this issue who uses Pokeball-like items to capture all the carnages, <laughs> all the toxins, all the symbiotes. Nope. Uh, all right, on to Demon Wars, Scarlet Sin number one. This is the end of the Demon Wars story. I want to give my Use Your Light Stabber, Use the Furts Award to Mentori, the mask collector. This little little guy who runs around collecting masks. I, I love that character. I want to see more of them. All right, next up we have Edge of Spider-Verse, issue number one. Uh, we are going back into the Spider-Verse because it did not end like we were expecting it to end. But in this issue, we get two different stories. Uh, the first one is called Enter the Craver Tooth, The Hunter, which is a Spider-X story. And I've showered Carla enough with awards and praise. I'm shaking my head this entire time. I'm shaking and my head at Carla and, and Carla and Perry. How dare you do this story? I it's so fun. I love this story so much. Just these two. Could not stop smiling. I think I laughed out loud more oh in this God. single issue than any other comic that I've ever read because it's just so silly and just wonderful. But the other story I wanted to talk about too, and it's called Spider Killer. And like, one, the story is pretty creepy, but I just love the colors and even just like the layouts of the second story. And it's menacing. It's creepy. The way that shadows are used to really flesh out this world was just wonderful. Yeah. Um, all right, on to Groot number one. This one was really cool. I Not at all what I expected out of it. It's a Groot book, but it's also a young Captain Marvel book. And it's uh, like getting to see Marvel and his relationship with Groot in here. I, I love it. I, there's also other floral colossi in this, Twig and Gleef. And they're so cute. And like Mar young Marvel is like, I will protect them with my life. And like, you're on that ride. You're like, I will protect them with my life by reading this comic. That said, I'm going to give my Use Your Light Stabber, Use the Furts Award to Chainsaws, which are giant robot dinosaur looking things that are made of chainsaws that are used to ravage worlds. And I was like, that's some fun stuff. Speaking of fun stuff, just kidding. None of that here. Nothing but tragedy in Immortal X-Men issue number 11, which is told from the perspective of Storm. Uh, which I thought was really cool. And I almost want to call this like an epilogue to Sins of Sinister because we we get a lot of immediate like, oh, how does Sins of Sinister affect our core characters that played vital roles in that? And we see that here, including Hope just beating the crap out of uh, Exodus because she was betrayed uh, by him in Sins of Sinister. But it's just cool to see these like things like playing out now and how it's going to affect the, the wider thing. So for... For that, I'm going to give Kieran Gillen my Use Your Light Stabber, Use the Fritz Award. All right. We have another ending to a series this week with Joe Fixit number five, wrapping up this really wonderful limited series. But I will give my Use Your Light Stabber, Use the Fritz Award to artist Yildare Sinar, who just crushes it. Like he can draw big classic superhero stuff with lots of detail, emotion and kineticism. But there's this panel of Electro powering up is just gnarly it's so so cool but then there's a full page splash of electro i was like hell freaking yeah all right next up we have spider-man number eight it's really nice to kind of you know leave the end of the spider-verse story and start anew here and immediately we get thrown into a new story it's you know we're back in the action we're back at the street level of things and we're getting some like deep emotional beats here so Dan, you get my Use Your Light Stabber and Use the Fritz Award. Uh, all right. One more Spidey-ish book. But again, this is a Carnage book. It's Spider-Man 2099, Dark Genesis number one. And it is the advent of Carnage 2099. I will give my Use Your Light Stabber, Use the Fritz Award to the the world building of this, of bringing in um, our, Nueva, our Nueva York of Spider-Man 2099, Miguel O'Hara, there's a Spider-Woman in here, 
But also, there's this great pages setting up the other heroes who are, have roles in the story. The Ghost Rider of this era, who's this like digital Ghost Rider, uh, the Moon Knight of the era, and Venom. And the Venom page looks really, really cool. Next up, we have Star Wars issue number 34. And in this issue, we get Luke rebuilding his lightsaber. After the last story, we saw him you know, not only get his hand crushed, but also get his lightsaber destroyed. And here we, we get to learn a little bit more of the lore behind the kyber crystals and like what it means to have a lightsaber. And uh, we kind of follow Luke go on a journey and where he meets Greta, who is now my new favorite character uh, because she's just amazing and badass. And I want her as an action figure because she has green hair and it's beautiful. But she will get my use your lightsaber, use the Furtz award uh, this week. Hell yeah. On to Star Wars Darth Vader number 33, our third Star Wars book this week. What's going on in here is the the there's this wave of force energy that is cascaded around the galaxy. And so Palpatine is his reaction to it, which is cool. But uh, Vader, it's kind of like he has the zoomies. He's just like running around. Uh, if you have an animal, uh, like a dog, when they get the zoomies or like toddlers and kids they sometimes get the zoomies too where they just have to run around and like get rid of all their energy he's just like exploding with force energy it's rad he like rips apart a star destroyer then shoots himself into space at one point but i will give my use your lightsaber use the furts award to fear anger hate power suffering and it's just like this like drumbeat that goes through the issue and it's just the way it's used in conjunction with the art in the panels is so primal. It's so like visceral. So that's where my head's at right now. Wonderful. Mm -hmm. We've also got Star Wars Dr. Aphra number 31. Uh, this one should just be called Emotions <laughs> because it is a lot of characters dealing with a lot of emotions in here. It's so, so good. I'm going to give my user Lightstabber Use the Furts Award to Alyssa Wong, who's they're so good at writing wild bonkers romance comics right now between Deadpool and this book, like love triangle stuff going on here. There's great stuff between Afra and, and Magna. Um, there's stuff between Afra and, and Sana. There's so much going on. This is such a fun, devastatingly, emotionally heartbreaking issue. <laughs> <laughs> it's so good, but it's also just a, it, it feels so good. Cause at the end of this issue, we feel like so many of these stories and these characters beats have like, ah, take a breath. And then we're, we know next issue, we're moving on, boom, going into stories and characters and taking off in a different direction. And we're going to be with Luke Skywalker starting with issue 32 next time. But it's really rad stuff. All right. Rounding out the rest of the Star Wars books, we have Star Wars Yoda issue number seven, which Mark Guggenheim gives Yoda a trench coat and stands on top of a droid. And tries to like pass as like a tall mystery figure to get information. And it is beyond funny. Like it's just, it's so ridiculous. And I love that Yoda was like, I have an idea. I'm going to do this. And yeah. you know what? It works. I'm here for it. So Mark Guggenheim, you're going to get my use your lightsaber, use the Furtz Award. Because what? Who among us has not been one of several children standing on each other's shoulders with a in a trench coat trying to get into an R-rated movie? It is that vibe in here, and it is so good. All right, last issue of the week is X-Men Before the Fall, Sons of X number one. This is the first official Before the Fall issue. If you wanted a bleak X-Men comic, this is your jam. There is some hope in here, but man. I'm just... You're talking about Hope Summers, right? That's really it. <laughs> Phil Noto coming in here. There's some really beautiful pastels and the colors in here, but it's like, you know what? I'm going to give my use your light stabber, use the Furtz award to mother righteous. Yes. It was like Cy Spurrier really sort of introduced her in, in his books and taking her to a place where she goes hard in this one, like, like full on fighting characters, just completely obliterating and disintegrating mutants we've come to grow and love. This is also a great issue to see what she's actually thinking, what she means, what the act of thanking her, what that does, the consequences for it all really spelt out beautifully here. We've seen it before, but this is the issue. Um, this is a, I, I would say do not miss this one if you are an X-Men reader. 
All right, that's it for the fabulous fresh floppies this week. We have a couple collections coming out as well, though. I want to highlight Dark Web, which is the Zebwell Spider-Man event that we got a couple of months ago now. Um, very excited. You get to meet the Insidious Six, which is easily one of the best things Zebwell has created. Also, over on Marvel Unlimited, we've got a lot of stuff happening with Infinity Comics. The finale for uh, the Jubilee arc in X-Men Unlimited. The finale for the Gwenpool story in Love Unlimited. Spider-Verse Unlimited by Jay Holtham and Nathan Stockman. It's another Miles Morales story with uh, now we got Madam Web. I'm really digging what they're doing. We've got issues of Avengers Unlimited this week as well. We've got a new arc of Marvel's voices with Iron Fist and Pei. Uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, The Jewel of Death, which is a new series by Christos Gage and Gang Hyuk Lim, which is going to be super cool. We've got a Who Is one shot, this time talking about Adam Warlock, which is perfect timing because Adam Warlock will be in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Uh, we've got another new series with Cosmo the Space Dog okay. by Jason Lowe. Jason Lowe is on the same wavelength as I, and he is doing it. He's doing the work. He, I can see... like. He's just rounding up all the animals. Jason, <laughs> drop that Pet Avengers book now. The world needs it. You say rounding up the animals and I, in a good way. In a good way. He's just collecting them like the Infinity Stones. Um, and then uh, over on MU, we also have a bunch of new issues new to the service, including our picks of the week three months ago. Amazing Spider-Man number 18, Exterminator number 5, and Sins of Sinister number 1. It's a great week if you are a Marvel Unlimited subscriber. But that is it for this week's new comics. We're going to turn to our reading club where we're going to talk to Charles Soule about Star Wars Hidden Empire, some of his other stuff that he's worked on in the Star Wars universe, as well as what's to come this summer. It's a little dark, a little spooky. I'm into it. Can't wait. Jasmine, it's going to be fun this week because we get to go somewhere where we don't often get to go to, a galaxy far, far away because we are joined by Charles Soule. Hello, Charles. Woo. Hello. It is great to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah Charles, I, when I you stopped by at C2E2 uh, this year and we bumped into each other, I immediately was like, you have to come onto the show. We need to talk Star Wars, specifically because of this book. And I'm really glad you picked it because this was the thing that really got me back into Star Wars comics. Not that I was like super <laughs> out of the loop. I mean, we do read the comics every week, but like this was something that like just excited me. Um, like I, I wanted to know what was happening and the way it was written was so fascinating to me because like we all know what the outcome is going to be. Like Kira isn't going to defeat the, the, the Sith Lords um, during mm -hmm. the events of like the original trilogy, but like every turn still was fascinating to the point where like i was like wait is this about to happen right now as we as we'll talk about the ending later um i genuinely was like whoa i didn't think we could like do this here in a comic uh but mm -hmm. for those who don't know we are talking about hidden empire which is written by you uh charles soul as well as pencils by stephen cummings with inks by victor alazaba and Wayne Foucher for the last two issues, colors by Guru EFX, and letters by VC's Travis Lanham. Yeah. We sure are. <laughs> We're gonna get into all that, but before we do that, I, I wanna I wanna just dip back. How'd you first get into Marvel Comics? Did you go to a comic shop? Were you not a reader until later? What was it for you? Uh it was an issue of Fantastic Four where they it was a John Byrne issue where they meet the um all the Asgardians. And it was I, I didn't I, I I didn't know what issue it was until I posted once on social media, I think Twitter about it. And then Mark Wade was like, oh, of course, that's that's, you know, he knew immediately the issue that it was. But but the story was that um, and I think this is probably not uncommon for early comics readers. Uh, my dad was like driving me and my siblings around. We were like in the back of the station wagon and we were acting up. And so he's like, OK, guys, uh, I'm going to deal with this. And so he he uh, pulled into um, the parking lot of a drugstore and he went inside and he came out with comics. This was back when you would like just leave your kid in cars, which is, I don't, I don't <laughs> think happened, then, but it was, but it was back then. And so I got, I got the fantastic four issue. And so that was my very first um, marvelous show I ever read. And the thing that really struck me about it was that the story was not over at the end. Like you read it and then it's like, come back next, next month or next week or whatever it was for, for the rest of the story. And um, little did I know that 
that that is always the case. There is no end of the story in Marvel or, or DC or any of the any of the great superhero comic runs. Um, I remember just being struck by the, you know, the I had never seen anything like it before. The beauty and the power and the colors and the craziness of it was just was just amazing. Um, and then the next the next big Marvel thing I remember was it was simultaneous because it was when um, uh, I was getting into. Uh, like G.I. Joe and Transformers and stuff as a kid. And so there was, there were, Marvel did comics for those, uh, both G.I. Joe and Transformers, and a classic limited G.I. Joe versus Transformers series that I liked. But then the other big one, which gets me a lot of, um, really gets me a lot of street cred, uh, because it was the first big comic that I really, like, followed from issue to issue and, like, tracked it down and got the whole thing, was the the classic Secret Wars 2. Uh, Ooh. Which, wow. Is really held up as probably the very best one. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The Beyonder to use the bathroom, all kinds of classic moments in that one. But putting the story aside, the part of the experience that I really, really deeply connected with that is still part of the experience today is, you know, on the spinner rack, they had like issue four, because at that time when I found it, it was like, okay, here's issue four. And then it's like, well, there's got to be an issue three, two, one. And on the top of it, it said, you know, a 12 issue limited series. So it was how. You know, it was both tracking down back issues and waiting for the rest of the installments to come out, which are, I, I would guess, for all of us, is just such a classic part of, of why comics are so hooky and great and why you, you get into them. The going back in time to find these older issues, like, that is something that, like, I always tell people that it's, like, my favorite thing about, like, the Marvel t- tapestry is, like, you can go forward or backwards in time. Like, there's always going to be something that, like, led you there. Um, and so it's fun to kind of dig up those stories and, and find out how we got to that position. And I found myself doing that in this book as well, because I started co-hosting Pull List around the time that Crimson Rain was coming out. So I didn't really read Your War of the Bounty Hunters. Um, and I immediately found myself going back to that. And like, even now, yeah. like going back to your Kylo like Ren series, the Rise of Kylo Ren, because, you know, you brought back the like, you know, the Knights of Ren and I'm just like, this is so much fun to go back to these like moments in time where it's like, I already know what's going to happen or how the ultimate conclusion ends. But like, I still want to know who these characters are or like the stuff that you were doing with Chana Cha. Like you can reread issue three because she's got a crazy battle with Vader in that issue. But like you can reread that and there's like new added context to that story. Um, And it's Mm -hmm. just wild. Yeah. Like what you were getting at, uh, Jasmine, with with the Star Wars stuff about going back and forth and and how you you're weaving between the raindrops of, of established story is is very much a part of writing for Star Wars in any medium, um, because it has been so far, you know, such a such a tapestry with fixed points that on on a timeline that is meant to be linear, mm-hmm. whereas Marvel might show us Spider-Man's origin. 20 different times and, and different creators do different things with it and tell the story in different ways. You know, there's only one Empire Strikes Back. You're not going to get another right. version of Luke Luke being trained, you know, on, on Dagobah. So as a Star Wars storyteller, you you have to think about the questions that haven't been asked yet and, you know, find the find the things that people want to know that they, they may not even know they want to know. And, you know, speaking of Hidden Empire and War of the Bounty Hunters and Crimson Reign, you know, for anybody who's, who's listening who doesn't know that the idea of these stories, they're, they're three like linked stories that tell the story of what Kira, uh, who was you know, introduced in the solo film as Han Solo's first My queen. Film. Yes, she's amazing. Amazing. Played by Amelia Clark in the films. And, you know, it's the idea is that she was around in the timeline between Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. And she was up to something. And so this this story, this three part mega story that ties in with all the other comics in the line kind of looks at her in a way that I think is feels really fresh and cool and and was answering that question that people maybe didn't even know they have which is what happened to her after the end of solo and then it was about pitching it to to uh, my wonderful editors in the Star Wars group Mark Panisha then the folks at, at Lucasfilm like Siglane and the rest of story group to make sure that because it is a living story along one linear timeline that Kira could be used in this way at this moment that this story could be told and thank goodness they said yes. And like years later, like this one took a long time to, to build out and, and get onto the stands. Uh, we we just concluded Hidden Empire not long ago, which which wraps up Kira's story that I was telling anyway. I'm sure there's more story to be told. Yeah. Charles, do you have a first memory of Star Wars? 
My first memory of Star Wars. Yeah, I mean, I I write for Star Wars. I've been writing for Star Wars for a long time. Uh, I, I'm also a creative consultant with Lucasfilm these days. So I essentially have to have a Star Wars PhD, like, and my, my you know, my credentials need to be well in order. So one of the questions I do get is, what is your first memory of Star Wars? So I've gone back into the archives and consulted with family members. And, and what we have decided <laughs> is that I saw A New Hope in the theater, not in 19, 1977. I was not old enough. But they released it a couple of times between the original release and then Empire Strikes Back coming out in 1980. Uh, and so I saw it at one of those one of those re-release screenings with, with my whole family. Uh, we all went. Um, and I remember what everybody kind of remembers from the first time they saw New Hope, which was just being like, what is this amazing thing that I, <laughs> I've never, I've just never seen anything like this before. Even then I was probably a little, I was a little young to really get the full impact because the one that really like sticks with me is Empire Strikes Back because I think I was old enough to internalize that. And so I, I remember very, very clearly things like there's this new character named Yoda. And then in the movie, when he he shows up and he's like this weirdo dude and then you know luke is annoyed by him and he eats his food and and then yoda's like well i am yoda i am the jedi master i was like whoa this is this is some wild you know sleight of hand narratively it was amazing so so it's moments like that you know it's it's moments like you know begging my parents to go to toys r us so we could get you know we could get an action figure whatever it might have been it was memories like my dad uh sitting all of us around at bedtime and making up stories between between a new hope and empire and between empire and jedi because they you know like we were waiting for years for these movies to come out and so he would he would just make things up and we would like you know that is not is that very different from what i'm doing now it's not really that different it's just you know my dad was doing it for an audience of four and uh i'm doing it for an audience of hopefully more than four um but it's you know i don't know that when i when i really think about the the connection i have to star wars it's it's that family stuff it's my dad giving us more magic give, making us feel the way we did when we saw the movies there was no real differentiation for us uh and 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 i think part of it was that early early family stuff where we all were super into it we all cared about it deeply and not just for when we were little, but for years and years and years to come. Playing video games, like scraping together every little last bit of information we could find about the prequels when they were announced, just all of it. So now whenever I tell a Star Wars story, whether it's a you know a comic or a novel or any anything I'm doing, I try to, and this is gonna sound a little, you know, I don't know how it's gonna come across to people who, who haven't met me and don't know that I'm being deeply sincere about this, but like you take it as a, as a deep responsibility to try to recreate the feeling that I had when I was little or I have now when I'm watching some amazing new film or whatever it is in the theater, like you try to give people that exact same level every single time. And if you get close enough, often enough, you get lucky and get to bring Kira in and do, you know, things like, you know, Hidden Empire and stuff. So that's beautiful. Charles, you mentioned, obviously, you know, talking to the, the story group about things you want to do, but you also mentioned being a creative consultant. So I imagine that 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 is a two-way street of of cool ideas and back and forth and sort of coming up with establishing Star Wars canon. Can you tell us a little bit about the cool stuff that you get to do as creative consultant? Absolutely. It's, you know, it's a really neat job that I am very excited to have, which I think is is the most obvious thing anybody <laughs> would ever say in the world. Uh, but the way that it generally works is because I have kind of, my hands in a lot of different Star Wars eras, I guess. You know, I work in I work in comics, I work in in novels. I'm one of the architects of the High Republic, which is another big, gigantic Star Wars thing that's been getting a lot of attention and interest in the last several years. Uh, it gives me a unique ability to have an overview from a creative standpoint on things that are happening, and so a lot of my job is to to foster interconnectivity between the various storytelling zones and sometimes that's talking about movies and tv shows sometimes that's talking about video games sometimes it's comics and movies sometimes it's novels um there's a lot of it and it's it's a really truly fascinating way to see the way that different lines of business develop their stories within star wars i mean the the things people are thinking about the goals people have when they're trying to you know make the next movie 
are vastly different than they do when they're working on a show like, say, Young Jedi Adventures, which is a new show that's just just debuted or is about to debut that is set in the, the High Republic era and is, you know, young Jedi students at a Jedi temple, like training to, you know, their younglings. And that's the, the goals and, and ideas involved are just completely different. And that's a great thing. I mean, Star Wars is, is a broad, broad canvas with stories for all kinds of different people. So... Sometimes I'm pitching stuff. Sometimes I'm, I'm listening to things other people are talking about and, and giving my thoughts on it. But basically, that's how the role works. I am what it sounds like on the label. I'm a creative consultant. I consult on creative things for Star Wars, which is amazing. You mentioned something. And I think this is a good way to segue into the, the Hidden Empire uh, book. Uh, but you mentioned something about, like, you know, being able to have that bird's eye view and bring characters in from, like, you know, different times. And, like, one of the things that shocked me was the introduction of this like Fermata cage. Like it is like the MacGuffin right, of this right. story. And right mm -hmm. away, I mean, especially because I knew that you were working on High Republic stuff. And then here we're, we have this Fermata cage, which Kira kind of like, spoilers if you haven't gotten to the end of this, but like where she's playing a bluff of sorts where she claims that there might be a, you know, third Sith Lord in the cage. And like that to me, just like that idea, that like thought was just like, it was crazy to me to think that, you know, here's going to be a, maybe a potential third one. And now, mm -hmm. you know, that conflicts with the rule of two and all this other stuff. And it just made for such a juicy story. Um, and we also get to see Palpatine, like, scared, like genuinely scared that this might be real. Um, and he doesn't know. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, the Fermata Cage and, and Kira's, Kira's bluff and, and everything that she was doing was, was built around her character. Because for me, the key to her is, is she... She trusts nobody except herself, but she knows what exactly what everybody wants. She knows what everybody wants and she knows what everybody else is afraid of. So she can be a an incredibly high level manipulator and yet which you know, which is which is theoretically a bad quality. But if she what her goal is is to try to use all of that skill, she's basically playing every card she has, using every relationship she has, using every credit she has amassed in, in her time being a crown boss in the Star Wars Galaxy to create this elaborate scheme for one purpose only, which is to bring down the Sith. And so when she came up with this scheme, you know, she was drawing on all of her resources, as I said a minute ago. And one of the resources she had was a lot of knowledge about the Sith that she was taught by Darth Maul, who was her original mentor in, in um, Crimson Dawn, which is the name of the crime syndicate that she ran. And so she, she used the knowledge she had of what do the Sith care about? Well, there's the rule of two. So what would freak them out the most? It would be a third one because the dynamics would change so much between, well, who's going to be master? Is this person stronger than we are? Is he going to kill one of us? Who's he going to leave alive? Are we going to have to kill them? Is that person going to band up with my existing master or apprentice and kill me? And so you can see the calculations. Like that's Stephen Cummings' art is so good. Um, you can see the calculations in in uh, in Palpatine's eyes when he starts hearing about this, and he's like, "I don't know if this is true or not. Odds are it's probably not true, but I cannot take the chance. I have to go explore this to its end." And Kira knew he would do that, and and you know she knew how the dominoes were going to fall, and she she took her best swing at it, and you know we know how it played out, but she certainly gave it her all. Um, you know the way you talk about that is something that should be sort of understood by by us as as fans and readers and stuff but i think sometimes it's taken for granted as that plot has to be in service to the character you know we have to you know we have to follow these characters we have to believe in them for the stories to really feel fulfilling and stuff and so just hearing you talk about it in those strokes is really it's good it's just it's it's a smart thing it's it's helpful to remind folks who get too caught up in well this thing happened but Maybe that thing happened because it's the the characters would act that way, that those things were meant to happen for these characters, as opposed to we just want to blow up a, a big thing and have giant, you know, pew pew mm -hmm. battles or whatever it is. Um, the the yeah. characters always got to be at the forefront of, of our stories, whether it's Star Wars or Marvel or whatever. Yeah, I mean, I a thousand percent. I I don't know of. Um... I, I didn't even click into this until recently, but this is this is, this year is my tenth anniversary at Marvel in June. Oh wow! Uh, is Congrats. The, which is pretty weird, huh? Is the um, the the first issue I wrote for you guys was uh, Thunderbolts twelve, I think, and um, with Steve Dillon on the art, amazing stuff. And so that that came out in June. So in about six weeks or so, I'm gonna I don't know what I'm gonna do. I'll probably 
I'm, I will probably just have a drink and, and be like, hey, what, a, what an amazing thing, 10 years working at Marvel. Um, but early on, you know, I, I think one of the one of the sort of touchstones I tried to maintain in my writing for you guys and everything I do is you write, no matter how sort of magnificent or, or high level a character might be or how much legacy they have or how many stories are told about them, you write them as a person and then it's going to come through. And so whether it's Daredevil or Wolverine or Doctor Doom or, or, you know, Jen Walters or anybody, Darth Vader, you write them as if there's a person in there and then and then the good stuff starts happening. You know, they, they start acting like a person. They start making choices like a person. And that's what people can connect to. Um, sure, you know, the the immortal space gods and all that stuff are interesting to, to talk and think about, but, but they're never going to hold your attention as much as, you know, Peter Parker trying to hold down a job while he's, you know, fighting Doc Ock, you know, like stuff like that is, is the reason it all works. I don't know. The Beyonder got you to buy 12 issues, so. But the Beyonder had <laughs> right, to go to the right. bathroom and the exploration of what his what <laughs> humanity meant to him. That's the that's the focal core point that so 20 odd years later, 30 years later, you come back to because that's, yeah. that's yeah. something interesting about what that character experiences. Jasmine, earlier you mentioned issue three had that big fight, right? And I like I was looking at my notes from from when we read that issue. I was like, Chanath Cha is Inigo Montoya. And I was thinking like yeah. the moment where yeah. he's Darth Vader's like, I've already forgotten your name. And I was like, that was like Don Draper. I don't even think about you at all. Like th- that issue, yeah. I remember so good. And there's so many moments like the throwing the acid on Vader. And he's just like, like, oh, yeah, that would mess him up. And they just like do 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 walking into the sea. Oh, it's so much fun i wrote in my notes hell of a star war for that one in particular <laughs> yes it is it is a hell of a star war i think that was one of our picks of the week that week because like that was easily my favorite issue out of this entire miniseries and like you mentioned like the vader fight it's just it's just such a like some of the best vader writing like i've ever in like dialogue that i've ever read or heard it was wonderful well thank you very much i i so Chanath Cha, you know, she, she's been around since my very first Marvel story, uh, Marvel Star Wars story with the Lando miniseries. And so I, I've always liked her. I've always thought she's cool. You know, she, she has a very interesting backstory. She pops up here and there in various stories that I've written. So for, so, you know, for eight, eight years, not 10, but eight of eight of the last 10 years, she's been part of my, um, my Star Wars world. And so I wanted to bring her into the Kira story, uh, and she shows up in Crimson Rain. She shows up in Hidden Empire, and and it was it was a way to have this like long running kind of revenge story for her because she hates Vader, but in particular because Vader killed her parents, um, and then I wanted it to, but I wanted it to matter within this this story too, and so so what happens in the issue you're talking about is, like. Throughout all of Hidden Empire, Kira is desperately trying to figure out how to open the Fermata Cage because that's key to this whole her whole plan working. She's going to open it. Hopefully, she's going to trap Palpatine and Vader inside, and crazy things are going to happen. But um, she, there's a lot of research she has to do to, to make that happen. And about midway through the story, Vader figures out where she is and that she's you know that all of this is going to happen. And so he goes there to to kill kill everybody and take the Fermata Cage. And Chanath Cha is sent there with her team of mercenaries. Chanath is like a you know like one of those badass people in Star Wars who just like is really good at fighting people. And she has a little group called the Orphans because she's an orphan. She calls her team the Orphans. So it's Chanath Cha and the Orphans, and they go to this island where the Fermata Cage has been set up to be researched. And Darth Vader is there, and and she is basically like, you're not getting past me. This is my moment to get revenge for everything you've done for me my entire life. I've spent every moment since you killed my parents training for this, planning for this, getting my team together for this. And Vader's like, I don't care. I don't know who you are. Let's just get this done. And so then there's this epic fight, which Chanath Cha loses, which I thought was really that was the choice that I was like, this, that's what will hopefully make this a good issue. Because this is a character that I've been writing for eight years. I, I care, I created, I care about. Um, other people have written her. You know, she has a story that is sympathetic. Uh, and she goes up against one of the biggest baddies, if not the biggest baddie in all of Star Wars. And she loses because she kind of should lose. She Like Darth Vader is a, is a gigantic threat. And I was, I could have had her escape. I could have had different things happen, but I thought you know, the way that that issue ends is Kira is is back at her headquarters 
and she's like, okay, great. The Fermata cage is, you know, research is going to continue. We, we dealt, you know, the Vader thing is dealt with for the time being. We, we bought ourselves some time. And she's talking to a young girl that she's trying to name Cadelia, who she's trying to teach lessons to and trying to like sort of have her be her own apprentice. And Cadelia's like, but you just kind of like tossed Cha Cha yeah. to, the, to the wolf. Like, what do you, what is this? And, and Kira says, and this is a very Kira line. She's like, yeah, well, Chana Cha made her life a story. And the thing she didn't realize is that she was, you know, all she was was a character in mine. Yeah. Which is, which is like literally and figuratively true. Chef's kiss. But it, it also like it, so it, it, I burned a character that I loved and cared about to give Kira that beat because it was, it was, it was important, you know, because it was the, the meta version of it is I'm also telling the readers that this story is important enough for me to to use up a character that I care about clearly this in this particular way, because the the bigger story, Kira's story is is more important. So at the very end of Hidden Empire, which is after Kira has failed, and you 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 learn that her the story of her failure is being told to Luke and Leia. Um, so like the whole the whole all of the whole story is kind of being relayed as this like they're they're listening to a holocran sort of tell the story of Kira and what happened to her. And Leia's like, man, I wish I wish Kira had, had come to us and asked for help. And, and you know, she she probably thinks she failed. And like, what a bummer if she'd come to us directly instead of, you know, trying to do all this by herself. Maybe the outcome would have been different. And Luke is like, well, actually, that's not what happened. She you think about all the things she did and how distracted the emperor was and, and Vader and like all of the stuff that she did. We can draw a direct line between her actions and our ability to win the Battle of Endor and destroy the Death, second Death Star kill the emperor all of it like it none of it necessarily would have happened if not for kira doing what she did so what means is that kira was a character in the other story the bigger story right there's always just levels and it um it rhymes yeah it rhymes i'm very proud of it i think you know pulling that story out of no not out of nowhere like i worked hard on it we all worked very hard on it but like making something that feels that layered and and hopefully interesting uh within within the zone between episode five and episode six, which are stories people have known for 40 years more. Like I'm, I, it was a really difficult challenge that I'm, I think came off pretty well. Before we move on to the next issue, um, when, when we read this issue, I remember being just so astounded by the, like the way that you kind of like wrote this, this particular scene, like the fight with Vader and like the stuff that's going on with the Fermata cage, like there's like multiple scenes happening, but the device that you use where like he gets acid sprayed on him and he has to go into the water and then he kind of just comes back. Like it kind of like removes him from the board a little bit and allows mm -hmm. for this story to really breathe. And like, I thought that was such an amazing writing technique. Um, and I'm curious at like how, like, were you just like, all right, we need to get Vader out. Cause like, there's a way, there's a world where this never like pauses for like a beat, um, where it just goes right through the story where we don't really get all this built up, but it made for that, like those final scenes just make them so much more powerful. I mean, I, I, I do all my work building issues out in, in notebooks. I, I use Moleskine notebooks and I, um. I, 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 every issue is broken it by hand. So, so I spend a lot of time thinking about how the issue is going to work before I actually type, type anything. And so the other thing to know about me when I'm writing is that I have a, a very, very strong music background. I've been playing music since I was like three years old. And so at this point, I call it story sense. I call it just the feel of issues, but I just have a sense of the rhythm of what I'm doing in a way that is difficult to communicate with any specificity, but I just can feel it. And so, you know, this is happening. So maybe I can move over here and then I can do this and I can shift the reader's attention this way. And that is that is what that Vader going into the ocean beat was. Like he should be, he should step back to give our characters a moment to be afraid, a moment to regroup, a moment to plan and and think maybe, maybe they've beaten him for a minute. Maybe they won for a minute. And then he comes back up out of the water. They're like, we didn't win anything. Like this is gonna be worse than we thought it was. So. You know, it's a, it's just, that's what 10 years of doing the job will get you, I guess, you know? <laughs> Fair. Uh, in four and five, I really like the, um, the, the Vader Emperor stuff in particular. We had, mm -hmm. we had a real good time. There's the, the little sparring match that they have in four. 
and I particularly loved uh, Vader uh, Emperor taking just one second to just like diss on Darth Maul one more time, just like throw a yep. little jab. It just cracked me up. It's so good. When we when we talked about this fight, I think we both read it in a different way, if I recall correctly. And I thought that that was something that was wonderful about this issue was that like when I read it, I read it very much as like, okay. Palpatine is not only terrified of the maybe Sith Lord in the Fermata cage, mm -hmm. but also realizes that like he might maybe have to fight Vader to like gain a spot. So he's like, I still need to figure out if I'm stronger than him to make sure that like, like he's, mm -hmm. I read it as he was scared. See, and I read it that he was scared, but because he's Sith, that's, that's just like, oh, he's just eating it. It's his own fear, his own anger, his own, it, it's like fueling him because fear and the hate and all that, that good stuff. He was scared, but like also with a kind of like, ooh, mm, let's get into this. Yeah, I mean, my my take uh, as as the person who typed it uh, in in the script was that it's kind of all of those things, right? The Sith are constantly manipulating each other. Uh, it is it is part of the dynamic. They need to, you know, keep each other off balance, keep each other afraid, because really at any moment. The whole point of it is that at some point Vader is either Vader's supposed to kill Palpatine or Palpatine's supposed to kill Vader. That is that is yeah. That's been the rule for thousands and thousands of years, and so, and they know that, and you know it can work really well for a while, but then eventually it's not going to work. And this is this is supposed to be a direct psychological challenge to the relationship that they've had for you know decades at this point, and so, like. Palpatine is definitely trying to show Vader that like don't don't try me because if you try me you know I'm I'm as good as I ever was and um reminding him that apprentice apprentices can be discarded which is the dig at mall um whereas Vader is of course thinking about you know well what if this other guy is is bigger and better and like mm -hmm. how do I show this guy that I'm I'm better you know it's all like the the sort of the triangle of their of their thoughts um between palpatine vader and this this mysterious sith lord that may or may not exist that they don't know anything about was to me a really interesting dynamic that we just don't get to see very often we saw we saw some of it obviously in um return of the jedi but it's all foreshadowing because what happens here is is informing those conversations in jedi like they just you know a few months before jedi return of the jedi had to deal with the situation where they weren't sure what was, you know, they didn't, they weren't sure what was going to happen. So it, uh, you know, like you said, it's like poetry. It rhymes. You just keep like, you know, <laughs> bringing your frames up and down. And it is all very musical. It's not like I said, it's like George Lucas said. Yes, that's true. It is something George Lucas said. <laughs> There's also the moment in five where uh, Palpatine calls Vader, my friend and Vader calls him my master, which is, you know, something that is part of their relationship. But I, especially after everything that has gone through, it just felt so like, I, I, I loved it. It was really good stuff. Yeah. Vader, Vader, um, Palpatine has the luxury of being able to say kind of whatever he wants to say. And, and Vader is not really in that place. Yeah. He needs to, he needs to make sure that he, uh, doesn't give Palpatine reason to get sick of him, especially because he knows he's got another, like his, his son is running around out there. And so how's that going to play out? Mm -hmm. You know? Um, going back to, to issue number four, this is something that I thought was really fascinating. Um, and again, this goes back to like how you were talking about, you get to have this like high level view of everything that's happening in Star Wars history from like the stuff that happened in the, the newer trilogy to, you know, the stuff that's happening in the High Republic. And I was blown away that you brought in a Maxine station. Um, oh, sure. And like, that's where we end up at the end of this because like, that's where they're trying to, that was something that you, you introduced, I believe in Rise of mm, the Kylo Ren book. Yes. Yeah. And then like we, we get that kind of woven into this tapestry of the story where now we know how uh, Palpatine knew about this and it eventually leads us to like Snoke. And I, it was such a small thing, but I was like, oh, this is cool. This is cool to see. Like, it's not like the main beat of the story, but it's cool to see like, oh, this is how you put the puzzle pieces together. It's not necessarily like, thrown in your face it's there but it's it's fun to kind of like connect those those ideas um but i i thought that was really cool just want to say that well i'm glad you liked it there's a i i've been hearing more like i was just at star wars celebration in london um a couple weeks ago 
and where I, I got to interact with many, 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 many Star Wars fans, which is the whole point of the convention. And but it was really fun. And and one thing I started hearing about was a lot of references to things like that. Tanata is another good example. Yeah. Lobot, the story that's being told of Lobot in, in the comics is another good example. Like the Barash Vow. There's lots of, of things that have become this kind of sideways little cul-de-sac of, of Charles Soule's Star Wars stories and, and beats that are played out and, and run through the various the various mediums, which is which is a cool thing. And that's again, that's what eight years of, of doing the job pretty much month in and month out gets you. Like I I did an interview while I was there where it I don't I don't since twenty fifteen May I don't think there's been a month where I haven't had a Star Wars story out. Um yeah, possibly the pandemic maybe did a little something. Uh but I think it's I think it's pretty much pretty much every single month there's been something on the shelves and, and sometimes like a lot of things, which is a pretty, pretty amazing thing. So, you know, obviously big things ha- are happening during Hidden Empire. But when we finally get to the end, I, I know I kind of mentioned this at the top where I was talking about how Kira gets to like freeze both Palpatine and Vader um, using the Fermata cage and like for like a minute she wins. Um, yep. And then your boys kind of come in here. The Knights of Ren are just like, what if yeah. we just don't let Kira win and blow it right. all up? What was like, what was your thought process behind that? Like, was she ever going to win? Was there a world where like we could have gotten that? She won. She won as much as she was going to win. I wanted her to have, wanted her to, this is, so one of the very first things I say at the beginning of all of the issues. So back, this is in, I think it's in the start of, of crimson rain so midway through but i said this story is a tragedy it is and it is a tragedy right and when you have like a tragedy in the greek sense and a tragedy in the greek sense is born out of the main character having a tragic flaw and kira's tragic flaw is her inability to trust anybody her inability to rely on anyone else to like be good enough to get things done or like actually be loyal or to you know to be loyal without manipulation or believe in her without being manipulated to do it and so I knew that was the flaw. And then I was like, how do I execute that? And and the way that I thought I would do it is by having her, by the end of it, having basically used up and discarded all of her tools. And and in her case, her tools, of course, are mostly people. And so by the end of Hidden Empire, Chan of Chan, the orphans are dead. Uh, you know, the assassins that she's been working with are like, we are not going anywhere near you. Yeah. You're completely toxic now. Like, the the her her criminal organization has been hunted to extinction because she she burned it all up trying to like to cause things to happen so like she she is essentially resourceless and she is just relying on her last few people her last few things that she can do and and she wins but then the knights of ren who are one of those people that she's been working with all along right they come in and they say okay it looks like kira maybe has done pretty well but she never treated us like people and so if we're deciding between you know the sith lords and and kira like kira could have treated us better kira could have been like done better things with us and she didn't and so you know we're gonna bet on the sith lords instead and so they let they let vader and palpatine out of the fermata cage which proves to be a a bad decision because palpatine immediately force lightnings them and says now you serve me uh but they're still alive you know, so yes, very, very, very sippy. Um, but that obviously sets up what they're doing in Rise of Kylo Ren and what they're doing in, in you know, the subsequent stories. Uh, because we needed them to be working directly for Palpatine because Palpatine is running Snoke, who is, you know, it all just, it all just connects. But, but all of that really goes back to the character work, which is Kira was raised in a way where she was taught to trust absolutely no one, completely rely on herself exclusively. Uh, and and that is that is you know the the traumatic thing that happened to her that caused her to not trust anyone and particularly not the Knights of Ren and then it comes back and bites her and that's why she loses and that's why hopefully it's all a good story. It's a beautiful story. I love this like miniseries. A hell of a Star War, as I've said. Um, we we got to wrap it up here real soon, but I wanted to make sure we teased and got anything that we could about the next Star Wars epic that you're doing with Sweet Boy Luke Ross who. Just coming off of the the Yoda issues, holy free holies! I love Luke. He's just I've known him a bunch of years, but it feels like he just like just pushed into hyperdrive just a little bit yes. in these last couple months, and I'm very excited for what you two got coming up. 
it is it is i mean hyperdrive is the word like luke luke has found a new a new gear that i uh i mean i'm so excited to find out that he had it in him and the pages are are incredible um if you've seen i mean you know everyone here has read hidden empire uh if if you have not read the ending of hidden empire i urge you to check it out because there are elements from that story that will directly move us into dark droids uh which is the event that's coming i'm pretty sure in august is when it starts um and so that is a story about it's it's a horror story like that's the that's the way i've been describing it the first line in the pitch i originally wrote for it was this is a horror story and it is about the droids which are the central element of the star wars galaxy they are you know, machines that we all care about and depend on, and some of them we personify and anthropomorphize and all that stuff. But ultimately, they're they're kind of you know, it depends on which one you're talking to. But they're they're either like you know programmed or they are or they are pretty clearly sentient. And so the way that I described it on the panel at Star Wars Celebration is you know, imagine if your phone, which you use to do everything, think of everything you use your phone to do. If your phone has started to resent you for it, decided it hates you. And it's talking to all the other phones, trying to figure out a way to eat you. Um, that is basically what Dark Droids is, and it's it's a uh, it's a very cool, sprawling, epic story that ties into all of the other books in the Star Wars line. And the whole group has been working really hard on it. And I am I'm just excited that we're doing something that feels so different. It does not feel like rah rah adventure. It is it is a dark, creepy story that's gonna you know I think really open some eyes. Thank you so much for joining us, uh, Charles. This was amazing. Couldn't have asked for a better way to spend uh, the week of May 4th. Uh, so thanks again for joining us. It was a pleasure. I will talk Star Wars anytime. Have me on again. Big thanks once again to Charles Soule for coming on the show and uh, early congratulations on 10 years writing comics for Marvel Woo! and God, eight years, I think he said, of doing Star Wars stuff. And Man, he's crushing it. I still, so every once in a while, I'll just think about how much I loved his Vader so run with Giuseppe Camacoli. Oh, man. Good ass comics. All right. Uh, may you all have a wonderful fourth and a wonderful uh, opening for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 and Free Comic Book Day. But hey, Jasmine, do you think we should put out a special Free Comic Book Day episode? Yes, because it is a new comic book day, meaning new free comics are hitting the shelf. So stay tuned for that. That's it for us right now. This episode of Marvel's Pull List was produced by Ryan Panagos and Jasmine Estrada. Brad Barton is Pull List Senior Manager of Audio Production and Development. Jill DeBoff is our Director of Audio. Make sure to email us over at pulllist at marvel.com. You can use the hashtag Marvel's Pull List on Twitter and Instagram as well. Um, and make sure to rate and subscribe let people know about the shows it helps us out for sure for more information and full quote of the week contest rules go to marvel.com slash pull list quote rules terms and conditions apply open to u.s residents 18 and up marvel insider is open to u.s residents 18 plus only terms apply visit marvel.com slash insider to join or sign in to answer the marvel's pull list quote of the week that's it i'm ryan and i'm jeff and this is marvel your universe